You have a wound, Eleven. A terrible wound. The gate, I opened it. And it's festering. And it will grow. And eventually, it will kill you. Welcome to another weekly meeting of the AV Club, otherwise known as The Fear of God, your podcast where we explore the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. We are very excited that you're here with us uh, in this, our next chapter of Stranger Things Giving. I am Reed Lackey, and with me is one, the one and only, the <laughs> king of Demogordons and Mind Flayers. It is Nathan Rouse. Nathan, how are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm here. Happy Stranger Thanksgiving. Happy Stranger Thanksgiving. How you know, are you doing? I am, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I wanted, um, I knew that I opened Stranger Things season one's conversation. So naturally was going to defer to you, but I mm. was going to say that you were, uh, busy checking on your polywog was what I had. Ah, heck. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which could mean one or two things depending on what context. Uh, you look sure, at. sure. You know, I meant it as something real specific. But does your sure, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll yes. just leave it there. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm doing well, man. You know, so it is the middle of November. Um, yes. Uh, you, uh, listeners won't know uh, that it's been quite a while since we've recorded together. So it's kind of fun to be back in the upside down, as it were, um, mm-hmm. discussing ye all stranger things too. Um, before we get too far down that path, Mr. Lackey. Oh, yes, I, sir. I am, I am just, I'm curious. And I think, you know, listeners might be interested to know as well. Just what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? That's nice. I, li- I like that. That's pleasant. That's, that's, that was that's a, that's a nicer, put, yeah. It warmed good. the cuckles of my heart. It, uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it inflamed my polywog. It was great. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, this is, we're starting strong on this one. <laughs> um, Terribly uh, punchy this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's all good. It's all good. Um, so yes, 
I have a book and a movie. The book is somber. The movie is fun. Um, I have a movie and a TV series. So that's yeah, well, or not a movie, I'm... a book and a TV series. Okay, well, we can share about the movie. I was going to talk about. So ah, um, the book listeners won't yet know that I'm about to time travel for us real quick. Um, oh, in about a month, you're going to listen to the podcast, listener. And be like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading right now. Thanks to you, my dear friend. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates new book. Uh, we were eight years in power and I had a slight disappointment about this book when I started it because what I didn't realize in the reading of it. So if anyone's unfamiliar with Coates work, he's an amazing writer. I mean, just purely from a craft standpoint, but he's an essayist for the Atlantic. Primarily, and he's also written one other book called Between the World and Me. Um, but Eight Years in Power, this new book, what I didn't know uh, before starting it was that it's largely a collection of essays he's already written for The Atlantic. Um, so there's a little bit of, there was a twinge of disappointment there when upon realizing that. However, the, he, he companions each of those essays that were written over the course of eight years with new material. So it's kind of editorial on the essay you're about to read. So from that standpoint, it was really positive and, and good. But also, now you've not read Between the World and Me, have you? No, no. I've never read okay. any of Coates' works. Um, he, oh, also for the nerds out there, he writes Black Marvel's Black Panther currently, um, which, which you know, is, is a good read as well. Uh, Coates is an, an avowed atheist, uh, African-American. We are extremely from extremely different walks of life. But I am so grateful to have stumbled into his work. I don't know if this is going to make any sense whatsoever, but I've really been processing this material. And the other day I was trying to assess how would I sort of describe this to someone? I wasn't thinking, how will I talk about this on the podcast? It was just, how do I sort of internally process what I'm reading? And I think you'll understand this. There's this way as a late 30 something white male person of faith, having grown up in the church, that you look back down the hallway of your faith experience and start to realize just how narrow it was in terms of comprehension and worldview and understanding. Right. And, and not just how narrow it was, but how detrimentally deficient it was in assessing certain matters of the world. I know that's so heavy and random, but what I mean by that is Coates writes at length about the African-American experience in modern U.S. culture. And to read his work is very powerful. Uh, it's, it's humbling, it's challenging, it's educational, and, and it's, and it's convicting. Um, yeah. and it will really rework some of the frame you, you kind of, view the world through in, mm. in a positive, in a positive way, sure. um, or rather in a constructive way in, okay. in such a way that as a person of faith, you start to say, wow, how have I just dismissed the plight of certain groups of people just because I was in the narrow hallway of the church upbringing? Does that make sense I at you. all? Uh, I th yeah. I think, I think I understand your meaning. It's just yeah, that, yeah. um, the, uh, it's it, it, what you're describing is making me think of the bubble the the like we sure. we, we yeah. grow up in yes. a bubble and and that our experiences are bubbled based on our peers who share those experiences and and some people 
uh, myself included, can sometimes look at the world as if um, this bubble is the only experience there is of the world. And that's that's a flaw. That's a fallacy. And so that that's at least what I'm taking from what yes, you're describing. Very, yeah. very much that kind of idea. And my wife and I were hashing out some of the things I was stewing over and, and reading this and and just talking about how how good and right and appropriate and healthy it is to expose yourself to and to read about people not like you. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and how kind of fruitful that is for one's spirit and empathy and compassion levels. Oh, absolutely. Um, anyway, so again, I know that's a bit of a somber entry in what you're watching, but I'm going to follow Welcome it. Welcome to the fear of God, everybody. Right, right. I am going to follow it quick on its heels. I know you've seen it too, my friend. Um, it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so yes we did both unfortunately not together we did go see no. thor ragnarok um oh my gosh what a great movie man i loved it i loved it so much i mean i think uh, this is your what you watch and read and listen sure, to but i'm right. just gonna hijack it, it for a second Pick like like i will say this i think pound for pound the the most enjoyable experience I've had from the MCU so far is still the first Avengers movie. I think just pound for pound, that's that's still probably number one for me. Sure. Um, if I'm talking about personal experiences, objectively, you know, the numbers might shift around a little bit, but um, in terms of personal experiences, the first Avengers movie is still sort of my my favorite of it. But I think Ragnarok might be second. I mean, I spent the entire movie with a smile on my oh face. Oh my gosh, I loved it. Well, Avengers, I I think I understand a little bit of what you're scratching at there. I mean, Avengers feels like it's got a bit more well-written character stakes. Mm, You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, so, so perhaps as a story, as a narrative, it might be a little stronger, but I'm with you. I, I can't remember having that much fun beginning to end in a film. Like the Guardians movies get close to it. Sure. They're fun. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But. I mean, every three to five minutes, there was a line and, and they're unexpected. Right. It's it's not like you see the punchline coming. Anyway, I I loved it. It was. Oh, they're so great. um, It was so great. Jeff. It was hysterical. Jeff Goldblum. Hysterical. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He was so perfectly cast in that role. I have a feeling that when Taika Waititi brought him to the, to the set, and Goldblum, if he ever asks this kind of thing at all, like, hey, how do you want me to play this? I bet. Taika was just like, oh, just be Jeff Goldblum. Like, just do that. Right. <laughs> like, whatever you're going to do, just, just do that. And I feel like they really, um, I had, I had written a review about it and I, I think I said it's somewhat rare for a non spoof, a non spoof to lead the rhythm of its narrative with comedy. But this one sure, does. Sure, and I think sure. it works very, very well for it. I think it's, it's a better movie for it. I have heard some complaints that I, that I understand, but didn't feel this way that because it was so lighthearted that some of the stakes or some of the gravitas of what's actually taking place on screen gets undermined a little bit. I wouldn't like fight against that, but right, I just, right. I just didn't care. Like I was just having too much fun. So I, so it didn't matter to me that that, potential was actually true so yeah i just it, what i said was to people is like if you like the brooding dark sort of side of superhero stuff then you may not like it very much but if you want to just have a fun time at the movies like go see it because it is just it's just fun it's so much stinking fun i loved it i want to see it again like right him, now him as korg is, oh. is scene stealing oh, oh God, meek's dead. hysterical <laughs> 
Oh, I, I stomped on him during the battle, but <laughs> I felt guilty about it, and so I've been carrying him around all this time. Oh my god! Oh, Meek, you're alive! Oh my gosh! It's oh, what so was your funny. question again, bro? Oh, it's oh, so it's funny. Hysterical. It's hysterical. Yeah, it's great. Um, so, so yeah, we can both what heap. You got? Yeah, we can both heap mounds of affection on that. Um, so, in brief, the uh, the book uh, that I have, uh, I want to give a shout out to Mr. J.R. Forresteros, um, who is uh, a fellow pioneer in the intersection between faith and horror. He he uh, leads uh, a podcast about horror films that are not from a Christian perspective. They're simply you know, a, a horror film podcast called Don't Split Up, but he is also a pastor. And uh, so he's a very interesting guy. We've had the opportunity to guest on a couple of other podcasts together. And he wrote a new book that is officially a bestseller, at least, of course, according to Amazon, called Empathy for the Devil. And it's a very fascinating concept for a book. I'm loving reading it. I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm loving reading it. It's a concept of he's examining the notorious villains of the Bible and expressing how we have similarities with some of the worst villains of the Bible. And I love, I will say this, I haven't read this chapter, but he concludes his book with a chapter called What to Do When You Discover That You're the Villain. And it's a really fascinating idea for a book. I think it's a, he's got a, such an engaging writing style. It's very creatively put together. Um, I would love at some point, maybe in 2018, uh, to have him as a guest on the show and talk to him about it. But so, Empathy for the Devil by J.R. Forresteros. I'm loving that book. I'm not quite done with it, but should be done uh, maybe even by the time this actually airs. And then my, my TV show, which I, I kind of go back and forth because it's technically called a miniseries. And feels very much like a movie of chapters, very much like what we're talking about today. There's a, a Cartoon Network TV show called Over the Garden Wall. Have you heard of this show? N- nothing, mm, nothing about it, right? No, I don't think so. So, it was created by a guy named Patrick McHale, who I think has done some work in like Adventure Time, uh, sure. you know, some of those other sort of uh, smaller... Wacky. Yeah. Right. Cartoon Network shows. And so he created this show. And when I was going, I knew it was, I knew it was highly praised, but I didn't know exactly like what it was about or what was going on with it. So I just thought, oh, I'll check it out. I don't even, I don't even know how in the probably minute and a half I have left to tell you why this show is so delightful and sweet and wonderful and scary and uh, is it engaging. Like a, is it like emotional. a 30 minute kind of episodic kind of thing? What is it? 11 minute. So, oh, so what it is, okay. is the, the, each chapter, chapter, quote unquote, or episode is 11 minutes long. So viewed in total, it's about 110 minutes, which feels like a, like a lengthy movie, a movie with chapters. But it did air on Cartoon Network, I think, episodically with just, you know, the 11 minute chapter breaks. But the premise is that, uh, this boy and his, uh, stepbrother, uh, find themselves lost in the unknown. That's what it's called. They're lost in the unknown, and they have to try to find their way home. And along the way, they meet a variety of quirky and fun and often very frightening, legitimately quite frightening characters. Meanwhile, there's this beast that is pursuing them, and there's some debate about whether or not the beast is real and and exactly what that looks like and why it's after them and everything. When everything comes together... I I found it to be such a rewarding and emotionally rich experience. It's it's very very good. I don't want to tell you anything more about it. Uh, I just I would love 
not to tip my hand too highly, but I would love at some point for us to officially cover it on the show. So I kind of want to wait and hold any thoughts about that until the time I think is right to do that. And then when we, you know, when we want to dive into that together, you'll see it then and, and, uh, and we'll talk about it at that point. But at this point, I just cannot recommend highly enough. Check out Over the Garden Wall. It's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's, it, it pushes some of the fear buttons. It pushes the funny buttons. It's, it's very, very good. It's a very accomplished piece. Well, we do like to push the funny button. Um, That's true. It's <laughs> uh, my birthday! <laughs> <laughs> Viewers of Thor Ragnarok might know what that is. Oh, God, it's so funny. Oh, uh, I, I, do you do you want a do you want a, a steak with or you want to stick with three wooden stakes on the end? Uh, no, <laughs> very good for no, killing no vampires. Thing. Very good such. for killing three vampires huddled close together. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's so great. Uh, speaking of TV, uh, have you seen this? Is I, I hate when the internet takes a thing and says this is a thing when it's really not quite a thing yet. If it ends up being a thing at all. But, um, have you seen the conversation around Amazon wanting to potentially develop a Lord of the Rings TV series? I knew it was. uh, So saying that I was, had seen the conversation is not really fair because I haven't opened any of the articles, but I have seen articles swirling around that Amazon's flirting with that. That's about as much as I know. Well, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, the watch podcast that I listened to, they were talking about because, so the guys who host the watch or, or at least one of them is heavily involved in the TV sort of scene in Hollywood and had attended like the critics gathering or I don't know what it's called. Uh, oh. TCA, TCA is that, a th- that's a thing. I know it is, but I don't remember if that's exactly what it was. But anyway, Jeff Bezos of Amazon was at this and he was talking about wanting a franchise tentpole. Uh, or hmm. rather like a genre tentpole looking at the success of Game of Thrones and saying, okay. I want that. And in fact, it was interesting because the watch conversation was about how Amazon has done these little character pieces like Transparent and the Man in the High Castle or not right. uh, right. Mozart in the Jungle. And they were basically saying, you're one of the biggest companies on the planet. Go for it. And so then sure enough, two, three weeks later, Oh, uh, Amazon is flirting with adapting a Lord of the Rings or, you know, green lighting a Lord of the Rings series adaptation, which honestly, I, I think would be pretty awesome. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, or yeah. Has the, has the potential to be, has the potential to be. Sure, sure. If they, if they do it right, I think the big challenge there is that Jackson's work and Jackson's adaptations are so, uh, entrenched now, I think, culturally. I think people hear about Gandalf and then they, think of Ian McKellen, you know, and so, sure. so I think that would yeah. be maybe part of the challenge is that how do you make it your own without just looking like you've transmitted what Jackson already sort of laid the foundation with? Because Jackson also was very faithful to the original works, at least for the original right, films. Right. So, it, so that's something that uh, I think might be a real challenge. I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. Two thoughts there is one, I think the transition to a different medium dis- distances it a little bit from that. Mm. Um, yeah. And two... I don't want, I don't like saying this. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring was what, 18 years ago? 17 years oh, ago? Oh, you just I think, impressed me. I think your entrenchment is 2017's, what was that again? You know what I mean? Like, that, that, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to our generation, oh, I adore those first. Oh, of course. Films. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But I don't, anyway, I, I, I think, if, You're probably right. That, if TV had point. been doing then what it's doing now, we would have scratched our heads and said, "Why aren't why we do doing movies? that on TV?" Right, right, right. Because exactly. the material, yeah. the material is so rich. Yeah, it lends itself to that. All right, so that has been a 
2017 hashtag Stranger Things Giving edition of What You Watching? What You Reading? What You Listening To? <laughs> I don't even know what that was oh that I did goodness. at the end. I oh don't even. Goodness. I don't even we know. We got a long conversation ahead of us. Read like I think. Yes. You gonna make it? Okay. I'm gonna make it. Uh, um. So, listener, welcome back to Stranger Things Giving. This episode and next episode are going to be very similar to the previous two episodes where we covered Stranger Things Season 1. We are just going to have one big honking conversation. Uh, well, I guess it may be. Uh, presumably, it will It will be a, a big conversation about all of Stranger I Things so. Season 2. Um, we will discuss, much like Season 1, we'll discuss kind of overall feelings about the season in broad strokes. That may take quite a while. Um, and then, and then, and then we'll drill down and cover episode by episode, finishing off with themes. It is worth mentioning to listeners. So it is the week after Halloween. Uh, so you and I both are roughly a week removed from having watched and uh, more or less having finished the season. But what listeners don't know is you and I made a pact to not discuss our feelings on Stranger Things 2. Exactly. Until I have no right idea now. how you feel about right, it. Right, yeah. right. Until yeah. right now, we literally have not uh, spoken about the show. I'm uh, quite have, nervous. We we had, if you remember this, there was a few brief texts in, in, in episode one, and that was it. Yeah, like like um, two or three at the most. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, you know what? Let's just go radio silent. Now, I don't know about you. The only material I have consumed ancillary to the actual show because I really wanted to have as much as I could of my own sort of thoughts inform this conversation. Sure, sure. Was uh, Alan Steppenwall's a TV critic for HitFix, HitFix, Uprox? Who knows? One of these. <laughs> one of these. One of these fix rocks show that internet sites. Um, but re- really good, really good TV critic that I like a lot. Um, I read his overall review. It was not a hmm. episode by episode. It was just a general take. And okay. then on the watch podcast, they broke their conversation up into three parts. I only listened to the first part of that, which covered episodes one through three. And then you had informed me of beyond stranger things. I watched about three of those. But okay. that's it. That's it. I mean, like, that's I have it. not really consumed anything else because I really wanted to have a fresh conversation. And in terms of quantifying, I think you've you've engaged actually with more than I have because literally, the, I I purposefully avoided any reviews. I wanted my opinions about it, so I didn't I didn't listen or cool. read any any sort of uh, like what do the people think about right, the Stranger right, Things right. as it were. So so I have avoided. What all do the of people those. think about the things? <laughs> the things um, of the stranger. But I did watch all of the all seven episodes of the Beyond Stranger Things because those you watched the first three those really felt more like special features on a DVD than they did right yes, uh, yes. review or commentary as it were so I so, may have gotten um, through four of those I can't remember but um, but um, but yeah I watched all seven of those but that is the only uh, extra content that I've engaged other than the episodes got, yeah, themselves I think I got through four four is with Joe Curie and Gaten I believe I think that was four but. And, and so as far as the watch conversation goes, I actually did not quite realize that conversation was about to happen. And then I was in the podcast like, okay, fine. I'll listen to them. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, so this is, uh, we're going to, we're going upside down together, brother. We're here we we're go. Jump, here jumping. We go. So I want to preface this five hour conversation. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> if it's five can't. hours, we're splitting it into December. Right, that, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Stranger Things, Stranger Christmas. Um, no, no. So I wanted a way for you and I to sort of give a quick take on the feelings attached to season two's watch without going too much into detail yet. So the question I want to pose for both of us in a numeric, and the answer would be in a numeric form on a scale of one to 10, how did season two, how well did season two give you what you wanted? Is that a good way to phrase that question? Sure. Sure. Or I have a you, Give you what you sort of hoped for. Yeah, I think that's I've got sort a, of what I'm after. All right. Yeah. So I've got a number on three. Say the number at the same time. Then we'll unpack it because I don't want I don't want to be uh, swayed by your number here. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Here we go. So on three, this the, the answer to the question is how well did season two of Stranger Things give you what you hoped for out of ten? You ready? Okay. You got it. Yeah. On three. One, two, three, four. eight. Really? Wow. <laughs> Oh my God, we this is about. gonna be this is gonna be such a fun conversation. Eight. This is gonna be such a Holy fun conversation. Cow. Eight, eight, yeah. All right, well, let's uh, you know, let's let's go through the gate. Let's get into eight. it. Okay. Um, I feel like I think you just chose the number eight because it has relevance to season two of Stranger Things. Um, oh, we'll get there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, yeah. What What do you want to say? So, um, so I have, I have a small handful of trivial bits, like just, uh, we, we may okay, get into okay, a sure. couple of trivial bits as we get into the episodes, but I have just two or three like broad sweeping ones. Um, so, uh, the, the, the first one, I'm going to end with the most fun. So just, there's a lot of fun costumes, uh, on Halloween night. So, so the second episode, trick or treat freak, um, there's a lot of fun costumes that if you just sort of do little screen grabs, you're going to see costumes ranging from Animal House to Rocky to, of course, the Halloween Karate franchise. Kid. Yeah, Karate Kids in there. So, so there's lots of fun 80s costume callouts in that episode. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. If any listeners want to go back and check out that specific scene, uh, there's lots of fun little Easter eggs and nuggets in that. I felt very going like fear of God meta right here. I felt very validated and vindicated. You said you did watch Beyond Stranger Things season one, or not what? season one, uh, Beyond Stranger uh, Things episode like, one. I know exactly what you're about to say, but uh, yes. Uh, yes. yeah, I watched about three or four of them. So um, so I felt very validated when they said that they viewed the Demogorgon like the shark in Jaws. Uh, and yeah, I, was I knew like, that's what you're going to say. And so, and what listeners may or may not know or may or may not believe is that, so when we had the conversation that they just eminently heard, probably, the uh, none of this material had been released. No, so we recorded I just, that weeks before the show. Yeah. yeah. So, I just feel very smart and validated that, like, yeah. uh, you know, that, that they were like, because I, I brought up the Jaws analogy. You did. And it was you like, did. oh, look at this. Look at this behind the scenes stuff. Me tapping into the Duffer Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Call me. Call me Duffer Brothers. I, you got a job for me? <laughs> Um, so you, you'd probably do better, <laughs> but we're, we'll get there. So, um, so bits. then, um, the, the last trivial bit that I have is I thought this was a, re- this is a fan theory. It's not a Duffer brothers endorsed theory. It's a fan theory, but I love it. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it's true. The character of Bob Newby, who I'm sure we'll talk about in detail in a, in a little bit, uh, get it Newby. Because he's a newbie to the yeah. show. Yeah, 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 we all, yeah, we all get it. So, um, the fan theory is that he is a survivor of the events of the book It. Have you heard this theory? No. 
Now, well, you know what? You know what? So, okay. It's funny you ask that because you're, you're, you're ringing a bell in my head of something I just saw on Facebook today about the connection between it and Stranger Things. So, which yes. is probably yes. what you're talking about here. Yeah. So, so I, I stumbled across this fan theory that basically claims that when he's talking about, first of all, he's from Maine. The show definitively states that he's from Maine, doesn't name a town. He's from Maine. And he talks about a dream that he had where a character named Baldo, Baldo the Clown is mm-hmm. trying to give him a balloon. You want a balloon, kid? You know, and so he talks about that. So the fan theory out there is that because Bob is an adult, that he actually right. was not dreaming. He has simply forgotten an encounter with Pennywise that he's now calling Baldo. So what I said I to... Cool. Yeah, I mean, what I said when, you know, some family members were like, oh, what do you think? You think it's true? And I said, given the level of intentionality to the references that the Duffer Brothers include in this, I would go ahead and say it would not surprise me at all if that was a deliberate call out to some of those connection points. Do I think in the world of Stranger Things that Bob Newby is actually from Derry, Maine? No, I don't think they get that meta about it. It's a, its its own universe, all of that sort of stuff. But I think as a referential touch point, it would not surprise me at all if the Duffer Brothers were trying to invoke specifically it sure, in that sure. whole exchange. But I thought that was pretty cool. I, I like no, that yes, a lot. I am, I am down with that. And, and you're an amazing, brilliant human being for Jaws and Sharks. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um... So I don't, I don't know. So is that, do you have any more trivial bits? No, I wanted to keep the trivial bits light. Like we said last time with Stranger Things season one, I'm sure that you could annotate episode by episode. I'm, we're not, there's, I don't see a ton of worth of us going into that sort of thing because I'm right. sure all that stuff is out there already. Um, yeah, they're, they're very much into the self-referential 80s pop culture thing. Um, so yeah, we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. So I've got a big pile. Of overall notes, I don't really. They're probably negative based on your four. I'm so anxious to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, I've got like. Well, let me let me let me uh, sum it up in 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 theory before I get too detailed. I've just listened to our Stranger Things one conversation, and I am. It's uh, this is why I wanted to wait to talk to you until the show because I was like, I don't want us to start hashing some of this stuff out because it'll be fun. Sure. Attack it fresh. Um, I am. I, this is strong language. Mm. The the. It's a family show. Remember. Sure. <laughs> if if you envision my feelings about season one as a pie chart, all right. Okay. About I'm seeing it. Season one. About eighty percent of it, I am in love with. Okay. About fifteen percent of it. So we're up to ninety five. I'm a little on the fence about. Okay. And about 5% I find to be question marks that need, that are, that are, that, that I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence about. Okay. Um, did I just repeat myself? The 15% was stuff I just didn't like. Then there's a 5% of, eh, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Um, All right. I got you now. You can almost invert that for season two. Really? Wow. Oh, this is going to be such a great so, conversation. I'm so excited. I, the... Gosh, how do I even start this? So, like, my feelings in, so I watched all of season two. I did three episodes and then two, two, two. I finished okay. it on how I finished, man. I'm just, all right. This is for you, my dear friend of 20 years. And this is for listeners who may judge me, but I don't care because I can't hear them while they're listening to us. Um, <laughs> I finished on Halloween night and, and wished I was watching other things. 
Oh, no way. I finished yeah. on Halloween night as well. And then, uh, well, I'd say, so, yeah. Basically, we finished on Halloween night. We kind of we we kind of dozed off at one point and had to pick it back up the next day. But yeah, like yeah, basically we culminated at Halloween. Um, but no, I was very I was very happy about that. I mean, I got an eight, you got don't, a four, so I understand. Don't get, well, don't get too deep, but like compare your general feeling of season one to your general feeling of season two. How would you rate? How would you compare them? So, Just- as I mentioned in our in our last conversation, the so with season one, I just I loved it, and as right. listeners will already pick up on uh, for our previous episodes, I defend a lot of what kind of you criticized. That wasn't by you know that wasn't uh, a deliberate sort of dynamic. That's just how it happened. I I liked a lot of the stuff that you had question marks or disliked. I do have more complaints. If I'm building a pie chart, um, Build that for pie. me. So, so me, my pie chart for season two would look very similar to what you just described as your pie chart for season one. Wow. Um, okay. That, that, that I, I would have about, um, you know, maybe 80% of things that I, that I really liked to love, about 15% of things that I was just like, I do not like this. This is not good. I do not care for this almost at all. And then about 5% of like, eh, I could be talked one way or another, depending on on what it is. And I'm sure we'll get into that kind of thing. But yeah, that was my pie chart for season two, whereas my pie chart for season one was very much going to be like 95% I love, 5% I'm on the fence about. Nothing that I didn't like. Wow. Of season yep. two? Of season one. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let me, re- let me reframe that just again. Season one pie chart, 95% love, 5% on the yes. fence about. Sure, okay. Season two pie chart is 80% I love, 15% I do not like, and 5% I'm on the fence about. Well, and admittedly, before season two started, my pie chart for season one might have had about 85 to 90%. The further I okay. get from season two, the more cracks appear in season one. Um, Interesting. Okay. I know. I know. Here's... Okay. You don't have to apologize for it. I know. Oh, I'm not. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) here are things I've thought since season two finished. I thought, wow, maybe I am grateful Firefly never had a second season. Whoa. Um, I I think things like, huh. All right. Yep. Should have gone the anthology route. Um, That doesn't surprise me. So I am going to bullet point. So this is getting into details. Can we get into details? Yeah, uh, generally, right? I mean, over, yes, yes, get, overalls. Okay. Overalls. Season. Okay, all right, sure. These are strong Put on phrases. your overalls. Okay, I will. They're already on. Um, <laughs> these are a couple of strong statements. I'm, I'm open to unpacking them and, or just getting your feedback. So, strong statement number one, every character is just reacting. Um, I felt there was little proactivity on almost any character's part in the season. Uh, which is a troublesome, I don't know if you'll know this feeling or if a listener will know this feeling, man, it is hard. Once you start watching a thing like this, that's like a TV long form kind of material. Mm -hmm. And, and the first sort of third ish doesn't capture you. It is so hard to write. Here's the thing, Reed Lackey. I want so bad to have an 80% pie chart for season two of stranger things. No, I'm sure. Yeah. It just, the, the further it went, the more disheartened and disillusioned I got with it. So wow. every, everyone is just reacting. All the characters are just reacting. This, this one is a, a technical nitpick, though. I think it has merit. The CGI is bad and there's too much of it. Here hmm. is a, here is a third. These last two are going to be brazen. 
there are no rules to the upside down after all. And I'm really pissed about that. And then, and we can talk about all these, uh, if you want. And the last one is if not just gone longer, 11 should have stayed dead. Uh, mm. is, is my sort of Your little strong reaction. statements. Yeah. Um, okay. the, so you didn't like. See, this is what's so hard because the things I like, I love. Like, oh, I th- sure. yeah, here's sure. the thing. I think the casting is fantastic. I think the. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, whatever. I mean, what is it? So, that's in that's in my fifteen percent. We'll get there, but that's in my fifteen. Well, okay. Let me rephrase that then. Certain aspects of the casting are fantastic. I okay. still have a great fondness for the four core boys. Um, I think the sure. young man. I think the young man who plays Will is fantastic. Um, He's wonderful. David One of the Harbour's, strongest performances of the show. Yeah. yeah. David Harbour is great, as we've spoken. I mm-hmm. liked, uh, I at least liked the addition. She didn't have a ton of uh, range to work with, so I can't criticize her too much, but gosh, I just had her name right here. Um, Max? Are you talking about Max? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think she's a good addition to the show. Um, I love Joe Keery. I think he's, I, I think he's great. Uh, Who I think is that he, again? Remind me again. Steve. Um, I think he's sort of a okay. breakout of the series. Let me let me let me interject right here because sure. one of the notes that I have is Steve Harrington is officially my favorite character of Stranger Things. Period. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah. They well, you and I, you and I will find places that our pie <laughs> charts overlap, overlap, and this is one yes. of them. Yeah, Steve Steve Harrington, the 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 actor, the performance that he brings yes. to it, what they do with his character, wonderful stuff. I have I have literally no complaints. I've got one small like ah uh, okay uh, with his character. But for the majority of it, I'm just like, you know what? I, I now love this character. I mean, they've pulled almost like a gin from Lost on me where I'm just like, at first, sure. in the beginning episodes of season one, I didn't like him almost at all. Right. By the end of season one, and I said this in our episode, by the end of season one, I love his character. This one, I'm just like, good Lord. This, all this all guy, Steve all the time. Yes. I'll take a Steve you know, spinoff show. From that, KF, from that KFC scene on down <laughs> to the end. That was great. That's it was great. wonderful. Finger yeah, it's wonderful. Good. So, so we, so there's a lot to get into with that. We can, we can do that a little bit later. Um, just, just a couple of like uh, responses to yours, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hammer sure. it into mine. I actually dislike the casting of the new people. I should, I should qualify that. Obviously, the casting that I loved in season one carries over to love okay. again in season two. But the casting of the new people, uh, I almost, and it, I don't blame the actors. I truly I was don't. Gonna, blame I was about the to actors. say, yeah, that's that's a question. I was going to yeah. ask that question. Yeah. No, I truly don't blame the actors. I think all of the actors are bringing as much a game as they possibly can. I feel like the conceptualization of the new characters is deeply flawed. We'll get into some of those specifics as we get into episodes, but in general, my broad dislike is. Would you I put? Dislike- uh, hey, out of curiosity, would you put uh, Bob in that? Camp nope. for yourself? Okay. Nope. Okay. Sure. Because, I'm just curious who you're referring to specifically. Yeah. So what I was about to say is that just with the exception of Bob Newby, none of the new characters have almost any impact on the primary narrative whatsoever. Bob Newby has a couple of key influences to the main story sure. that that I think without without him, you these things don't happen. Um, but the rest of the Max, like she's just part of the group. I like her. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's fine, but she's just part of the group. Yeah. Uh, Billy, good God, shoot somebody, shoot oh, him in the oh, face. Oh, it's somebody awful. It's awful. Get, him, get rid of him. Um, no offense to the actor. The actor is uh, is I think doing what is being asked of him, but it's right. a very poorly conceived character in my opinion. Well, and um, then and then they give him that one scene in nine that you're like, where was this? 
all season when he's flirting sure. when he's flirting with uh wills uh, yeah with yeah yeah yeah. Mrs. Wheeler. yeah like yeah that's a it's interesting that's interesting character yeah, work. it's interesting what you've sure. given us up to now could not be consult confused for interesting by any stretch Ab- anyway. absolutely absolutely um feels a very generic character oh very superficial God, shallow character um so yeah don't like him almost at all uh, again no ding against the actor i think the actor does fine with what he's given to work with um and then also like uh, Paul Reiser's character, Dr. Sam Owens, yeah. like one slight little note at the end that I really liked, but for the most part, he's just a Hawkins lab, yep. you know, fill in. Um, so, so yeah, that's my big ding against the season with its new characters is the new characters don't really drive the action. Uh, I'll mention in season in episode one, when we get there, kind of some specifics about that, but yeah, they just barely changed the overall story. Murray has a very small impact on the end. Who's and Murray? Bo- uh, Murray is the guy, the conspiracy theorist that they oh, go to, that Jonathan yeah. and Nancy go to. Yeah. So he has a very small impact on the end. And Bob, Bob's Bob's in it. Like Bob is a new character. They give yeah. him life. They yeah. give him nuance. They they do well with Bob. But with the exception of Bob, the rest of the new characters are basically plastic uh, inserts that I, that I really wish they had done some different things with. I already mentioned how I love Steve. I do I do really kind of love, if not love, really like. The dynamic between Hopper and Eleven, like I, I really like that they yes. took the show there. Yes, um, I, that would I also love- be in my fifteen percent. The, yeah, the, I- the material the two of them have together is absolutely to me possibly the strongest stuff of the season. Eas- easily one of my you know top three favorite sort of elements of the new season is Hopper and Eleven. Uh, really, really strong stuff. Love uh, uh, the the actor's name is Noah Shap, I think is his name, but the actor who plays Will. Good Lord, uh, that kid is delivering a powerhouse performance. He's almost outshining everybody around him, and that's saying something. But uh, So I love him. And then, with the exception of a couple of moments I'll mention when we get into episodes, with the exception of a couple of specific moments, I really struggle with how disconnected L is from the main part of the of the season. One kickback I was going to give, which is a very small kickback, is ironically... Even though I struggle with how disconnected she is from the main plot, the one character I would say is definitively not reactive is Eleven. Eleven is not reactive at all. She is making everything happen. She's the one who ventures out and breaks the rules. She's the one who hunts down her mom. She's the one who hunts down her lost sister. Like She is very proactive, but she's the only... I would agree with you about every other character just simply reacting to the things that are coming into them. But Eleven is not reactive at all. Eleven is making things happen. And unfortunately, that plot line is some of the weakest material in the season. So yes. so I struggle with that a little bit. But I do I wouldn't call and her see, character I, reactive. Yes. And this this is where we mutually agree that our any kickback is merely a reflection of academic uh, disagreement, <laughs> not uh, personal offense. Um I see I would I would say I agree with I th- what I think you're trying to say about Eleven. I still think there is so little her story yields to this to the overall that is not either a new or b worth it. Um, sure, sure. To to me, she feels like we've got to keep her off the table. You your comment about her being disconnected, and this is what I wrote down as a general. She is the show's Deus Ex Machina, and that's really annoying and really frustrating. Because when you've got the character that can do uh, anything okay, okay. within reason, in the world of this show, she is the trump card. She is the one who's going to save the day. So she has to be off the table the whole time because they would have solved the problem, whatever it is, um, much earlier. Because her visit to her mom, man, ugh, when they start... The I zoned s- out through that whole thing. Right. 
because there's nothing yeah. of value to it. When <laughs> I won't say nothing of value, but yeah, yeah. Rewatch it. When they <laughs> when they when they start the season, there's there's such a fine line between blowing your world out, you know, like like expanding the world you've created and having purpose in doing so. When they hmm. started and showed that off-site off Hawkins scene and it reveals the 008, I thought, "Oh, I already don't like that." Like, I don't need to know really? this. I don't need to know this information. It is not pertinent to um, what I think is interesting about this show. Because hmm. here's, here is one thing I did write down. I do want to unpack some. This is going to be a long conversation. Um, it's going to be where, two episodes. We're fine. Where the show sings is, and however faulty of logic I feel like requires us to get there. Some of the best work of the season is the kids with Steve in the underground stuff towards the end. Because that show, it, it gave a vision for what Stranger Things could be. And, and what I think at its best it is. It's this sort of club of kids experiencing wild and, and, and fascinating and supernatural phenomena. Sure. That's sure. a pretty cool premise that you could do some stuff with. Um, okay. And that's, yeah. Yeah. So let me glance at my notes real quick. Well, Um, I have one, I have one thing to say about, because like one thing, and I will speak in general about this more in detail when we get to the, the, you know, elephant in the room of episode seven, but one, one big miss, I think I, so here's exactly what I heard when you, when you spoke that the moment that they revealed the zero zero eight, you said, I already don't like this, right? That was your reaction. I, I did have negative feelings in reaction to it, yes. Automatically. So, I had an opposite reaction, and I would have said, were we, like, live-tweeting this or something? I would have said, hey, you're misjudging the show prematurely, but you weren't misjudging the show prematurely. One of the things that I think was a big misstep on the season's part is they introduced them immediately. Right. Right, right away, and we don't see them again for, like, six episodes, and they hold no bearing on the primary plot. You mentioned Eleven being a deus ex machina. One of my big sort of notes to it is that if Callie, if Eight, had been more instrumental in the conclusion of the main plot, I would have felt a little bit better about it all. Like if Eleven's journey to go find her and then she comes back with Eleven to help dispel the big bad, then, then I'm a little bit more on board with it. But the fact that you show them right up top... And then we do get a whole episode with them, but it's, you know, late in the game and has no real bearing on the on the main plot. I feel like that was the big misstep. Not introducing them, but doing so little with them. I feel like they now that they know Stranger Things is a cultural phenomenon, we're going to get four seasons. What I feel like they're doing is I feel like they're setting up somewhere that they're going to go in season three or season four. And I feel like, okay, fine, if you're going to do that because you're playing the long game, but it really does hurt the story you're telling right now. Like it, it does hinder or, or negatively impact yes. what you're trying to do with this, with this story. Because here's, here is a, here is something that, and, and we can unpack in more detail when we get to episode seven, the lost sister, the lost episode, it should have been called, but oh, we're gonna, you're going to love me when in, that, in that episode. When that episode happened, Reed, and this is why the zero zero eight scene bothered me so much is because suddenly this show that in its first season had such a sort of specialness because of its core cast and because our focus was on them and their misadventures, 
when you blow this world out a little bit, it suddenly, this is me, it feels like everything else. It's suddenly, oh, it's, it's a show about, X, it's the X-Men as youngsters. Huh. I don't care about these people because this is a story I've seen every genre piece of material that's kind of out there. It's where it kind okay. of goes. And so it really annoyed me that that was the opening scene because I don't know where this was. I was listening to this recently, but it was talking about TV shows, maybe in the podcast or stuff I listened to talking about TV shows and how a TV series will, regardless of what came before it, a TV series will end with what the creator wants you to think about the show. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, while the strength of that statement can't be applied to the opening scene of a show, you can soften that statement a little bit and say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? Here is, here is my, a, a sort of summary feeling about what I experienced with season two is I lost a lot of respect for the Duffers. It felt like, Dang, dude. it felt like characters I really like being thrown into nonsensical situations that had very little internal logic to them. Um, hmm. I am, let's unpack this for a minute. I'm extremely annoyed, disheartened. It, I don't, this is, you're getting a lot. Everybody's getting, they're like, damn, Nathan's like feeling it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I would watch, I will, and, and I probably will watch the show until its end. More now because I like the characters than because I believe in the strength of the, the spine of the show. What I mean by that is the production value is fantastic. I still love that stupid opening theme song. Like, I oh, love, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love the, the touch. I love, I love the feel. I love the vibe. In season two, I got oppressed with the number of obvious. My grace towards the call outs was exhausted. I said, oh, gremlins. Oh, aliens. Oh, the exorcist. Right, oh, right. Carrie. Oh, the warriors. Oh, like it felt like for the first time, my ability to enjoy the show got lost because of a huge, something that is huge to me. And that is the, the upside down no longer makes any sense to me. And if you hmm. can't, to me, this is my interpretation of what I got out of season two. The rules of the upside down are just simply, we want cool imagery and monsters. It is not, um, it just, the more I process this, I was like, it doesn't, there's no, it doesn't make any sense. She opens this gate in season one. Cool. I'm down with you. Yeah. It's, it's funny having just listened to these podcasts because I loosely reference what I didn't know was going to annoy the hell out of me in season two. When I look back at season one, I am bothered by the little portals, the little sub portals, even more now because you know what I'm talking about like in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. the, the little entrance point. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. the Demogorgon's ability to kind of, uh, cross dimensions at will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that is, that is, that is a rough sketch of what we get in season one. Well, then season two happens and. I am already, okay, here's a question for you, a very specific question. And this is, could be under the episodes, but it matters to this part of the conversation and my beef with the upside down. Do you interpret Dart in his polywog state as what Will coughed up? Not at all. And I think the show is in deep error because it called back that scene. 
because uh, I disagree from, with that, but I want you to flesh well, out your thought. Well, here's another complaint with the season. There's too many flashbacks for a show that's so easily accessible. We don't need all the flashbacks. Flashbacks in season one to a character's story and how they got where they are is valuable. When you're in the middle of a, a nine episode season and you're flashing back a dozen times over the course of those nine episodes to material that is readily available just a season ago, it starts to feel like you don't trust me as a viewer or you don't trust yourself as a storyteller to deliver on the emotional stakes you're going after. So when you, when, hmm, when, when Dustin, finds, I felt entirely oppositely, cool. but I think it was just a feeling, right? When Dustin finds the polywog and immediately we are shown a flashback of Will coughing it up mm-hmm. to me, I don't, for a show that is so about the call outs, I don't know how that's not supposed to be suggestive that that's meant to be the same one. No, 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 no. Well, let me, let me interject yeah, here real quick. You, you finally got your wish. There's like dozens of them. I knew you were, were going to say that too. There's dozens of them now. Right, so, right. and, and some of them are full grown. Like when you asked me point blank, do I think that's the specific one that Will coughed out? The reason I said so definitively no is because clearly they grow. So, and I don't get the impression from season one, I didn't get the impression when I watched season one that that's the only time he's done that. That that him going and vomiting that up is not a singular experience. So, I got the impression that that was like an infection that he had, that he was that he was constantly vomiting up these things. And so if 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 I'm right, which I don't know if I'm right, but if I'm right, then that would mean ostensibly that like that's that's happening periodically over time and yeah dart may have been one that he coughed up but not necessarily the one he coughed up at christmas time in season one like a year earlier that time jump would have been too illogical right it is yeah it's definitely makes no sense uh that if if that were to be the case and but but see even if i give and i want to i want to say uh, clearly that's not the same one do you nathan do you no, oh i <laughs> i do trust me if there's anyone other than you this show is sort of in the wheelhouse of it's me but when you do like and it's funny cuz i knew well nathan you wanted more of the things well yeah i did but not that that was so this show can't win with you nathan <laughs> no no it could have it could have i'm kidding but when that scene happens i wanted to throw the remote i was like really this does not make sense but why like like sincerely like unpack why it doesn't make any sense to you and i'm listening i'm not gonna well because okay well let's go with the notion that will has been coughing up these little polywogs for the course of a year well all of them at we're i think we're meant to presume these are going to at their full growth be demogorgons yes um there's no chance that there wouldn't be full grown ones. Uh, but there are. So, no, no, they're all the dog things until the end when they're climbing up out of the pit that Harbor is just staring at. Right. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is 11 closing the gate at the end. It doesn't even matter. These things can get over. Like what? And then by the end of the season, we're at the snowball, but the upside down has melted into the real world in the underground, but we're not really worried about that. Where are all these dog things coming from that if was it, did Will cough all of these up? There's what? There's like dozens of them. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So, so I things that you have question marks about with zero effort on my part, not knowing your questions, I just thought very differently about them. So, like for instance, you just made a comment about the upside down blending into the other world. I, I, I sincerely don't get that interpretation from the final scene of the of the season. The upside down. That that it's blended into no the no other no, world. I, no. But half of the season is about the upside down has now infiltrated the real world underground. Yes, right. So because the gate my, was never shut. Because uh, the gate was never shut. Well, the gate the gate was never like when Eleven disappeared. Right. She she and they they show it. They show the flashback where when Eleven disappeared, right, she right, didn't right. die. She didn't disintegrate. Right. She went into the upside down, but. She not only had opened that original gate, letting that original Demogorgon out, but then she escapes into the real world through by enlarging another one. And so, like, you know, so she, I get what you're saying about, like, oh, there's all these different potholes to the inside out, but the, they are all collect, collectively kind of like a hive consciousness. Like, it's, it's, it's basically like an infection that has gotten out of control. So the, the break in the space of, of, of space time between the upside down and the real world has, this is my interpretation sure. that it has now come to be an infection, a rot as they call it, that moves along underground. And that's how these little, these little sort of bursts up into it. Like for instance, when Hopper finally, this is again, getting into episodes, but when Hopper like finally goes down into it, right, right. My, my note at that point, which we'll bring up when we get there is Hopper's in the upside down. He's not gone. Like, like he's not gone through some, you know, Slimer gate, but he's in the upside down at that point because at that point now that part has has more or less taken over. So in my view, the and and we will get into this kind of like the Will's body thing all over again. But we're going to get into this when we get into themes. But I do think it is significant that the gate was never shut, and that 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 being the big sort of moment when that gate is finally shut, what happens to all of those demodogs that are in the same space as them? They fall. They they just completely collapse. And so what that tells me, if I'm looking at the story, you know, kind of with a little bit of distance, what that tells me is something about that gate being open is what was fueling their presence to begin with. It was and that this mind flayer, this what I called him was the shadow spider before episode eight. And I realized he was called a mind flayer. So this thing, unlike the demodogs, which are kind of like just mindless sentries, this mind flayer is an intentional sort of malevolent being with sure. plans and with and and so his whole thing I'm calling it a he it whatever, right 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 its thing is I'm going to invade the upside down I'm going to invade it by these these pathways you that mean I the right create. side up or the, the real oh, the right side up yeah right, sorry right, right. the right side up because it's from the up in upside right, down right I'm going to invade the right side up with these pathways, with these demodogs. That's how I'm going to get in there and I'm going to emerge into the real world. And his connective tissue, his connective point is Will. Will, having sure. been in the upside down, coming back from it, but having spent so much time in it that it has infected him, Will is his tether to the upside down. Right. So, so he uses Will as his, as his connecting point, that that's how he you know, is going to expand his territory, as it were, into the right side up. What he intends to do there, I'll go with you. They don't really define. It's a malevolent intention, clearly. But but that, to me, was the interpretation of the whole sort of thrust of the villainy of the show, is that this thing, this creature, is... So that's why he's... I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and say something that I'm bringing to the show. 
I think the Mind Flayer is the one making Will cough them up. That when he needs another one or wants another one, he pushes, if you will, Will to cough up another one. And that because we know for a fact that the infection is still inside Will, well, then what does the Mind Flayer want to do? The Mind Flayer wants to, in, in, in the very beginning, Will, Will is asked, did he want to hurt you? This thing that you saw, did he want to hurt you? And Will says, not me, everyone else. And right. that, for me, that clued me in on like, oh, and I said the, 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 the very first time I heard that line, I was like, oh, crap, this thing wants to use Will to burn the world. That's what this thing wants to do. It wants to, using Will as a kind of a keyhole, wants to get in to the rest of things. And that flavored my view of the whole rest of what came after it. So, I mean, we can get into it. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's the appropriate time if you want to. Um, I had some general thoughts of scares, um, but maybe now we can can start. Unless you had more that you wanted to specifically unpack, maybe <laughs> now we could kind of could kind of get into. I mean, we can keep speaking in generalities for as long as you want to, or we can start diving into episode by episode and sort of hashing out interpretations. I will say, my only the only thing that I put as a general scare is that I think the mind flayer design and concept is terrifying. The I called it the shadow spider for a while, but I don't think we necessarily see enough of it. We see like three or four really great shots of it um all of which unfortunately were in the trailers i think but the um when it's on screen i think it's it's horrifying i think it's a terrifying concept of a being of a thing um and so yeah so that was my only big sort of general scare but i defer to you mr nathan rouse we can stay in generalities if you want or we can start diving into into particulars i don't know yeah let's uh it's funny i even wrote down today i was like even things like the electricity in season one is meant to suggest the upside down interacting with the real right Right. exactly yeah Mm -hmm. well then the only the only time to my recollection the electricity happens in season two is when eleven's mom is mentally discharging or whatever Mm -hmm. and i was like this yeah um but i would i would say in response to that that there's a lot more like it, it has spread. So because it has spread, uh, I, I will I will actually not even disagree with you. Like the fact that there's few to none call outs to that whole electricity thing. I get it. Somebody dinging the show for that. I would agree. I'm not even going to defend that part of it. But for me, it's just like the intention has kind of moved beyond that. The intention of this thing, this mind flare, whatever it is to move beyond that has already, it's already gained so much power and it's already gained so much influence as it were, you know, it's, it's just moved on from those sort of parlor tricks as it were. Um, but I, I, I do agree. It's like the fact that they didn't do more with the electricity thing. Like I kind of understand, but well, and, and hear me, I, I'm not, I'm not asking for the electricity stuff. It just felt inconsistent to, um, what they presented in season one. Uh, Honestly, like if, if there wasn't such a giant, like I, your comment about will possibly consistently copying these things up. Like I even want to buy in on that. The time jump bothers me for that argument. Like it, why it, I don't because of, I'm because not trying to be of, a jerk. Like I mean, I want to just, you do because of the state in which we see these things when they all appear. I don't know. It just, there was to, to me, there felt like a lot of convenience. Um, in terms of storytelling going on. In fact, 
something I wrote down. I feel like the show wants to explain what it shouldn't and doesn't explain what it should. Uh, and, and expand a, on that in a number of places. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm an idiot, but you're not an idiot. You've got, you've got, well, I know that, but I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> like I want to recognize potential options, uh, for <laughs> my feelings on this show, but the, you're, you mentioned Paul Reiser's character. Mm-hmm. It annoyed the hell out of me. Oh, so you're just a good guy, scientist guy. Um, it like, you, in, in other words, it just felt like let's flip flop who Matthew Modine was. So in terms of what the show wants to explain that it shouldn't is things like epi- the entirety of episode seven, things that I feel like it should is it's weird to me at this point that there isn't I, as someone who hates the Merovingian scene in matrix two or three or whichever one it is. You know, this big expository monologue that explains all the things. I'm not asking for that specifically, but I'm asking for the characters who are studying the upside down to sort of like talk about it a little bit as opposed to just sort of like not what I mean too by. So for instance, in season one, you've got the Steve Marquis movie Marquis scene, right? Sure. Right, right, right. So much character work as we discussed in season one is done with that scene. But in season two, and I know it's an easy target. And I get that. But then you've got episode seven, which feels like such a misguided choice. Like, I don't, let's, let's talk yeah, about yeah, episode seven when well, we get there. Ju- yeah. Um, so this, here's, here's one positive note that we're going to jump into the thing. I love how they redeemed Lucas's role. Lucas is great in season two. I love that he gets the girl. Um, he's got mm-hmm. some good stuff going on. So let's jump into. Mad Max. So, so, so overall, before we, before we make a definitive sort of transition, because this may be where this episode concludes and, you know, chapter two coming out next. Um, so before we make a definitive transition, so four out of 10 for what you were kind of hoping for for the show, do you have any general thoughts that wouldn't be in, in a big episode? Like you said, they explain things they don't really need to and don't explain things you feel like they want to. Is that the statement you made? Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there, is there one big note that you would add that you would say like, okay, definitively using what they've got, this would have made the show like quote unquote better if they had done this. Like, do you have like a note like that to, to sort of wrap a bow on that conversation? If you don't have one, that's fine. I was just kind of thinking like a, you know, a nice little transition point. Sure. Um, I mean, I think if they could have just, you know, tethered season one to season two a little more. Like it, it, it is clearly, it doesn't, the, the way the upside down functions, even with what feels like a reasonably compelling statement you just made or sequence of statements you just made about your version of what you saw of the upside down, I feel like a lot of season two is we're putting this on screen because we like the movie we're referencing and we think it will look cool. I don't even know if I'm answering well, the question you just asked me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, well, you said your answer to my question was if they had tethered it more to season one, which I find interesting because I feel like my criticisms revolve around that they are too beholden to season one. Um, that well, and when I say that sure. worked. Oh, yes. It's very repetitive. Uh, season two is. I just mean the what feels like they did with the upside down in season. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. I don't mean the narrative or thematic things to should connect more. I just mean 
the 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 execution of the upside down at this particular juncture in time is hard for me to wrap my head around and doesn't quite work for me. In, sure. In what so, I've seen. so before we okay, so yeah, I've, I've got a question for you. Sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there like a grenade in a backpack. Yeah. And then and then we'll dive into some episodes. Yeah. I hear you, and understand. You, you you struggle with the lack of definition for upside down and rules and stuff like that. If you need a minute to answer this very shotgun, you you we did no pre-brief. Um, why are you so antagonistic towards the upside down in this? And you and I both are so mutually defending of the island and lost. What is it about the difference between the two shows where the art? Because the arguments that you're making about the upside down. I have heard so many times I'm nauseous about the island in Lost that, you know, the rules are not explained, they're not consistent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to scratch at right now is what is it about Stranger Things that's missing for you that Lost allows you to sort of roll with the fact that the rules are not really laid out, that the the I's are not all dotted, the T's are not all crossed, that the cookies are not on the bottom shelf. What is it about Stranger Things that's missing for you that would help you sort of sort of get there, if you will. And I don't know that I'll have the answer, obviously. I didn't sure. Like the show. Well, this is a knee-jerk response. Um, I think, one, with Lost, they flirted with mystery the first half of the series, and then it started to get wild, right? I mean, that's when people started jumping ship, is not, you know, not you or I, but... Like, it, when people complain about the genre elements of Lost, it's, uh, spoiler alert, it's time-traveling island, it's whispers and whatnot, you know what I mean? Like, it's once yeah, they started throwing, the yeah, it's once they started throwing the heavy genre stuff at you. Well, by that point in time, we're very bought in on those characters. And okay. so, I think for me, Stranger Things, and, and here's, and, Here's an attempt at an answer, because that is a big question. My apologies. No, it's okay. You you uh, eloquently one time summed up uh, an assessment of the finale of Lost Season 3. Um, we have to go back with, oh my gosh, these characters are just as what? Off the island as they are on it. Lost, right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, mm-hmm. that, is a, that is a character element that is a sure right that sort of vibe and feeling that threads all of lost because i would even agree with someone who might say i i I struggle a little bit with some of the the wackiness of lost i would say well i still love the the wackiness by the time it starts to reveal itself doesn't bother me because i'm so bought in on everything else sure sure i understand with stranger things to me they have not done quite enough with the character stuff for me to and and because the whole show or a lot of the show is about that vibe it's about that zeitgeist it's about that sort of cultural feeling they're trying to create and so that's what they're leaning on largely as expressed through at least in the narrative the upside down and what it is and what it means and what it does um. Yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. It's it's a very and here's the thing. It's it's funny you ask that because 
for some reason recently I was pondering this. Maybe it was in relation to Stranger Things too. I don't remember. But I think you've seen probably two interviews with Lindelof about Lost where he says as, as the production of broadcast TV started to overlap with peak TV, peak cable TV, he would often get asked, do you wish you had been able to make it in like an HBO type of setting? You know, right, shorter right, exactly. seasons. And he's actually said, no, I actually think ultimately the broadcast form worked better for our series. Hmm. Yeah. And, and in my assessing, again, this may have actually been mental imaginings related to watching Stranger Things too. It might have been harder to buy in on Lost if you had truncated it all down to a very fine point uh, and leaned super heavy, super early on the wackiness and wildness of the island. I'm just conjecturing. I'm just conjecturing. Sure. No, that, yeah, this is exactly what I asked for. And, and, and I, what I was going to say is I have a feeling that your answer kind of in, in, in broad strokes is that Stranger Things didn't have the time to invest you that, yes. that Lost did. Yes. So, so that's, that a very, because- that's a much more concise way. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate your, uh, your, is it Aaron to Moses or Moses to Aaron? Yeah. Oh, you know sure. what I'm yeah, saying for. Yes, yes. 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 I know exactly what you mean. Um, but yeah, that, that basically it's just, a, it's a matter of time that, that they have, they established something in eight episodes. So I would, so, you know, I would, for me, I, I roll very easily with the mystery that is at the heart of this. I roll very easily with the questions like all I really need, whether it's lost stranger things, any other sort of mystery saturated show, all I really need is make your intention clear. And if your intention is at least clear enough for me to sort of go with you, then I don't, I don't need your rules. So like if your intention is clear, if your intention is, is, is at least overt enough that I can pick up on it, then I'm good to go. And I don't need to understand how everything works. Uh, I don't need to understand. Like, for instance, your criticism earlier is that the upside down has no rules. I would blatantly reject that statement. I love you, but like, I would blatantly reject that statement. I just don't think we're given the rules. And that's a perfectly valid complaint. We're not given the rules, but I, I am also comfortable with people saying like, well, why does the funny light at the bottom of the well turn people into a smoke monster? I don't know. It just does. You know, like, it's one of those things where I was like, I don't know how it works, but it just does. And I'm, and I'm okay with people saying like, oh, this is just how this thing works. So for me as a story, you know, absorber, if you can give me, if you can make clear to me your intention, I'll forgive all kinds of you not explaining to me why when I flip the light switch on, the lights come on. Like, I'll, I'll forgive all of that. But other people, depending on the dynamic of the show, really need those elements. They really need, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody saying like, hey, you know, I, I need, where I where I would struggle is if somebody were to say like, uh, like, you know, spoiler alert for Lost. When people say like, oh, they were just dead the whole time. I'm like, you didn't pay attention to the show. Right. Like, if, if, if you say they're dead the whole time, you didn't pay attention to the show. But if you walk away saying, I really wish they had dove more into the science stuff and not gone into all the mythology. Okay, fair. Totally fair. I understand. Um, that's not the show that they chose to make, and it didn't work for you, and that's totally fine. So with something like Stranger Things, you know, somebody comes and says, like, oh, I really wish they would have done this with the Upside Down instead, or I really wish that they would have done this with this character instead. I'm probably not going to kick back to any of those things. I will like or dislike what they did, but I'm probably not going to kick back against that. But I will just sort of like brush up against a kickback, if not blatantly, you know, sort of dismiss. Uh, 
It's not that there are no rules. It's just I don't think we're given them. And that's the, that's well, and that's, the problematic that's, element. Well, yeah. And uh, I don't want a monologue. But when... And, and while your explanation goes a little distance to iron some of the wrinkles out, to me still... And, and don't ask me at 10 o'clock on a, on a Wednesday night to explain <laughs> all of them. I think there's enough inconsistencies that are bothersome to me um, about the execution that it unplugs me a bit from my affection. And it was, and it is slash was real for the upside down concept. Um, gotcha. And, and, and you make an interesting point about, in terms of lost having the time, I said this to my wife at the end of maybe at the end of the season, definitely at the end of episode seven. I said, episode seven reveals a lot about the problem of the Netflix model. If there is, you know, I'm not saying it is inherently problematic, but all formats are going to have sort of restrictions and limitations. Well, in this new era of the nine hour movie, as opposed to a 24 episode season of X-Files or a 23 episode season of Lost, if you're giving me 24 episodes of a thing, I'm ready and fine with five to seven ish of those episodes being just kind of mediocre. You know, mm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not the 23 episode movie kind of idea. Well, what you get when you have eight and nine episodes and the nine episode on um, the nine hour movie is when you deviate from that format, it has to land, right? And so, sure, sure. So when it doesn't, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, I get it. Anyway, I get it. yeah. So I feel so like I'm, so feel okay. Like I'm, so yeah, it's it's absolutely time for us to get into some some main episodes. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, tune in next week. Uh, we'll we'll get into all of that. Those are some of our broad. When Reed and thoughts. Nathan will end up duking it out on the psionic plane <laughs> on the astral plane. Um, exactly exactly so uh so yeah so check us out next week and we'll dive more into some episodes those are just some of our general thoughts on on stranger things season two that concludes chapter one of our extensive conversation about season two of stranger things tune in next week for a deeper dive into each of the nine episodes including more debate further exploration and a conversation about the themes that spoke specifically to us this season Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.